And I don't know how, how I found this article, but it was about this gentleman who about six or seven years ago, he, oh, they had moved and he had, um, at some point, seven or eight years ago, he had uh, stopped by a fast food McDonald's. He'd stopped by McDonald's. And uh, maybe it's gone, they had gone to a funeral. Anyway, so he was wearing a, a sports jacket and they got home and he was in a hurry, so he slipped a McDonald's hamburger. He had it, it was wrapped, it was a single, wasn't a Big Mac, it was a single McDonald's hamburger, and he slipped it in his sport coat pocket and forgot about it. And so they got home, he hung the jacket back up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, they were moving, and uh, as a matter of fact, they were going to give the jacket to Goodwill or something, and his wife, this happened, they discovered this about five or six years ago, his wife happened to be patting the pockets to make sure there wasn't two or $300 bills in there, you know, making sure. And so she felt something. She reached in there and she pulled out the McDonald's ham. Y'all haven't heard this? Anyway, so she pulled it. Matter of fact, I saw him on a news article the other day. Anyway, so pulls it out. And um, so at that time, that, that burger had been in there 14 years. They took the wrapper off of it. And I'm not lying. It looked perfect. It looked perfect. So, so now I will let you know that it's now over 20 years old. I saw a news article that this hamburger is over, a McDonald's hamburger, single, is over 20 years old and it looks like you could eat it today. Wouldn't. The, and the only thing that's decayed is the, is the uh, pickle uh, kind of disintegrated into the bun. But here's my whole point. That's weird to start out with a McDonald's hamburger. That's 20. Somebody asked in the, you know, the comments, what kind of preservatives <laughs> do they put in a McDonald's hamburger for it to last? I mean, it's incredible. And uh, for it to last as it is for 20 years. Some kind of, it's kind of scary. Whatever they, it worked. It preserved that burger. Well, the Bible says that these witnesses, that God, incredible, God calls them. He saves them, calls them, and they are witnesses during the tribulation. And the Bible says He seals them. Now, McDonald's uses preservatives, right? We know it lasts 20 years. But the Bible says that God seals these witnesses to protect them and empower them. He seals them with His Spirit. Did you know that the Bible says He does the same thing for us when we're saved? Do you know in 1 Corinthians 1 and in Ephesians 1 and 2, the Bible says that you and I, when we were saved, we were, listen to the word, how it describes the Holy Spirit. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Isn't that awesome? There's a promise behind the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Well, these men, we're going to read about these witnesses. And I've been thinking about, not only were they, you know, we think about them witnessing during the tribulation, but also we've been called to be witnesses. And uh, I was comparing our responsibility in this day and time to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ compared to the responsibility that these men had uh, to share the gospel during the tribulation. And there's a huge difference between the culture they faced and the culture we faced, as bad as it is. 
what they're going to be facing and sharing the gospel is going to be a lot more difficult than the world that we're in. But you know, when you read the whole story, do you know the Bible says that there's a, a great multitude that come out of the great tribulation that are saved? As a matter of fact, many scholars say that the text implies that there will be more people saved in the tribulation that have been saved during the church age. So these witnesses, and of course they're not alone, there's many other witnesses. So the Bible, here's what I want you to know. God never leaves this world without a gospel witness. Amen? He never leaves the world without a gospel witness. And the Bible brings us up to these interest, this interesting number of 144,000 witnesses. Now, without me reading it, before we read it, what kind, where are they from? Who, who are they? Jewish witnesses. And how, so if there's 12 tribes, which really there's more than that, but if there's 12 tribes listed, how many from each tribe? 12. These are literal witnesses that God calls to witness during the course of the tribulation. So you're, And by the way, these men witnessed for all seven years. And we know that because we find them during the course of the trumpet the uh, seal judgments, right before the trumpet judgments, and then we meet them after the trumpet judgments. So anyway, all that's a, uh, an introduction. Your Bible's open to, to uh, Revelation, chapter, Revelation chapter 7. While you're finding that, I was looking through the text today or yesterday and looking at the idea of the gospel. Now, there's several ways the gospel is said to be, but it, the Bible describes the gospel as, by the way, the word gospel means what? good news and there's a big long Greek word it's called euangelion you, you don't care about the word but euangelion it has the word angel in it angelos it's messenger and literally the word means good message good news and so we say the gospel is good news and of course we know if there's good news we talked about this in Sunday school today if there's good news you have to know the bad news first right and the bad news is people are dead and dying and going to hell in sin. Well, the gospel, the Bible says it's an everlasting gospel. I love that. And it seems as if, let me tell you something, I, I didn't even think about this. You, you study and learn something every week. It seems as if these 144,000 witnesses are going to enter the millennial kingdom. They don't die. It never says they die. And it never says their ministry ends. So it seems as if these men who God called to witness during the tribulation are going to be witnesses during the millennial kingdom. Now you can't prove that, but it, it infers that from reading the text. So the gospel is an everlasting gospel. The Bible says the gospel is God's gospel. That's one of the first definitions of the gospel. It's God's gospel. The good news is God's plan. It was... It was ordered and ordained by the Father and Son in eternity past. The gospel is not a last-ditch effort to save people. This was God's plan before. The Bible says before time ever was, before you and I ever existed, before God ever made anything on the earth, He ordained and planned that it would be His gospel. This would be the way He would save. Everlasting gospel God's gospel, the gospel of grace, 
the gospel of Christ and then the gospel of our salvation. So there is good news. And these witnesses have that good news to share. Now, before I read Revelation chapter 7, I just want to throw this out there. The Bible, if, if, the, if, if God has sent us to be witnesses for Him, Acts 1-8, the Great Commission, Acts, uh, Matthew 28, we know that God empowers us and sends us into the world to be His witnesses. And we're in this world and we're to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's empowered us. Every one of you is a witness of the gospel. You're supposed to be sharing in life and word the gospel. We're to be witnesses. And so I was trying to think all throughout the New Testament. Would somebody get me some water? Sonia, would you mind getting me some water? Um, I was trying to think through the New Testament. What, what illustration or what word could I use that, that would help me kind of visualize the, the responsibilities of, of being a witness for Christ? And the best one I came up with for me... now. You may find another and you may be picking one out in your mind now, a scripture. But mine is found, and you don't have to turn there, I'll paraphrase it. Mine comes out of 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul says to all believers, you're an ambassador for Christ. I like that word. So in your mind, you know, when Paul uses that word, we're, we're an ambassador for Christ. So we represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And as ambassadors, we don't, we don't present our own message. We present the message of the king. And so we go out and tell the world about how to be saved. So a wonderful thing. So let's talk about and read and meet about these 144,000 witnesses and learn a little bit about their character. Revelation chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. And of course, this is, you know, you, if you look, they've, they've opened the, the seals. You have the... The description of the seven seals. Thank you, son, Sonia. Um, the, they, you know, and of course, I don't want to spend too much time. You have the seal judgments. and in the, So as soon as the seals open, remember, nobody could open it. And who opens the seven seals, by the way? Christ does. Isn't it incredible? So after the seventh seal, within the seventh seal are the seven trumpets. And in the seventh trumpet are the seven bowl judgments. So once you open the first seal, it's a done deal. So Christ is showing John the future. And remember, in chapter 4, verse 1, after this, after the church age, metatata, that meta, Greek was metatata. So after these things, these things are going to... So after the church age, the tribulation starts. So we know, and it mentions that several times, after this, and John's taken up to heaven, and then the tribulation, the church is, is raptured, and then, and then the tribulation begins, and... And we were talking, Diane and I and Bonnie were talking the other day about prophecy. And I, let me just tell you this, just honest to goodness. I think I'm right. And, and there's many people that would agree with this theology. But we're living in a day and time that if I realize that my eschatology, that's the study of end times, if, my, if I'm off, and we are going to go through the tribulation as described in Revelation, I'll tell you. I'll have the guts to tell you that I'm wrong. But I think I'm right. So 
as you read the book of Revelation, it's kind of scary to think, because I can't say 100%, you know. I believe it, believed it all my life. And the older I get, the more I believe it. But the point would be that we believe the church will be gone, and then now we're in the midst of the tribulation. So the, the 140, and, and not all of it is, is um, when you're reading the book of Revelation, uh, it doesn't, flow, the timetable, sometimes it's not a, it's not, it doesn't flow chronologically perfectly. So we're into, the, we're into the seal judgments. Christ has opened the seals. And now we're introduced to, in chapter 7, verse 1, these witnesses that are going to be sharing the gospel. Now let me ask you a question. It, as bad as it is, and we talked about this, and something, as bad as it is now, and it is bad, our own government, legislates immorality. Which is, un, you just almost, of course it did that with abortion, but it's you just almost unbelievable where not only our nation is, but our world is just the, the sin sick. It just, it's out of control. It's nauseous. It's, it's wickedness. And, and even being a sinner, though you're saved by grace, it's just sickening to live in this fallen world, right? Amen? It's just amazing how, how wicked people are and murders. and so. But as bad as it is, and it is bad, I, I'm admitting to you, it's nauseating. I can't watch the news much because uh, it's just horrible. But it's, this is nothing compared to the immorality that these witnesses are going to face. Not just immorality, but murders, strife, thievery. I mean, the reason I say that, uh, hold your finger here at Revelation 7 and, and go to 2 Thessalonians. Now, the T's are together. There's 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. So go back to the left and find some T's. And this will be the first T, but it's the second book. Second Thessalonians. And look at, uh, turn those pages. I like to hear those pages turn. Second Thessalonians. Um, and look at verse, um, look at chapter 2. Second Thessalonians, chapter 2. So again, I want you to think about, if in fact our, if our, if our theology is correct and our eschatology is correct, the church has been raptured, described in Revelation 4.1. Now we're in the tribulation, the sealed judgments. And uh, so the church has been removed. Everybody who's been born again has been removed. And so the spirit working through those believers have been removed. And so uh, there's no conservative, there's no biblically conservative group on the earth anymore you know, to vote, to challenge immorality. So you can imagine. So anyway, chapter 2, verse 1. When I watch Robbie read this, and he's, you know, he's 6'6", it seems like. He's way up here, and he can see the text down there. I can't even see it, and I'm short, so I have to pick it up. But anyway, I think about that every time you read. Oh, it's good to be young, you know. It says, now, yeah, large print, it doesn't matter. I got it, but anyway. It says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, 
We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So obviously there's a false message going around Thessalonica that the rapture had already come and they'd been left behind. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself, that's the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God, or so he's not going to adopt any man-made religion because the church is gone. He's going he's to have his own faith and people are going to follow him. Who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. By the way, we're not studying that today. But again, if that happens literally, there'll have to be a new temple built in Jerusalem. And one of the great debates right now is there's a place called the Temple Institute, and there's all this fervor in Jerusalem, from what you read, that they are ready and willing to rebuild the temple. So there has to be a temple if these things happen during the tribulation in Jerusalem. So it's just interesting to think that the Jews are, are trying to do this to rebuild the temple, and they don't believe in Jesus. But, but uh, anyway, it says, uh, and you know, okay, I'm sorry. And you know, verse um, 6, he's claiming to be, oh, verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. So there's, there's a restraining. So the evil, the devil and evil are being restrained as bad as it is. Uh, says, restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, right? We would agree. Lawlessness is at work. Uh, and that word lawlessness is, is command not. It's, it, you don't obey God's law. The law or command is the word not. Not law. They won't obey God's law. Uh, so it's already at work. Only, looking at your Bibles, only he who now restrains it, it's a, it's a personal pronoun, he. So, so we would think it's the Holy Spirit, right? What you're thinking, uh, that he who now restrains it will do so, being evil, lawlessness, will do so until he is out of the way. So if it's the Spirit, Strain, okay. So you see that in the church. What you think? And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom, which is, is incredible, but then he, he reminds the saints and reminds us, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. Remember when he comes at the end of the tribulation, he comes in the sword that proceeds from his mouth, and it's not a literal sword, it's his word. He speaks the word and he just annihilates everybody, right? So, says, so whom the Lord will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. 
And then he goes on to explain the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. Lawless one is the Antichrist. So anyway, so you see that when we get to Revelation 7, not only is there just God's judgments are falling in the sealed judgments, and you have the four, part of that being the four horsemen of the apocalypse, there's pestilence, there's famine, there's destruction, and besides all that, there's massive lawlessness. The devil's at work. And, and so, and, and even though we're not in the middle of the tribulation yet, the Antichrist is deceiving. They're lawless. It's lawlessness. So now we're in chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Now after this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. And I wished I knew exactly the application of that. You know, you're, is it the peace before the storm? Is it a symbol that, that for a moment in time things are going to be calm? I, um, then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. Now folks, let me remind you, if you've been born again, we, we studied regeneration this morning in Sunday school, born again. You've been sealed at salvation at the moment of new birth, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And that, that is what secures your, your life. Your deeds do not secure your salvation. Amen? We were talking about that. I'd be lost every day. You, you're a sinner. You have a sin nature. You batter your good nature. It's just a mess. So you're sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. So this Holy Spirit does His work. So another angel rises from the sun and, and with the seal of the living God. I love that. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed. It's like there's a, a moment of... He stops the, the tribulation, you know, the judgments or the sealed judgments for a time because there needs to be this official... That's a spiritual thing. This official sealing of these saints that are these witnesses. And so, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. I think that's, you think about the mark of the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, is either going to be on the hand or the forehead. Well, these are sealed on their forehead. And I heard the number of the sealed of 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Now, as a student of the Bible, you might realize that there's a tribe missing and a, and a son, but there's a grandson. So it's not, but when they appear, there's 12. There could be up to 14. We won't get into that. But there's 144,000 listed here. There's a reason why the others are not listed and, and so there's, there's 144,000 witnesses, and it lists those witnesses. Now look at verse 9. I just want you to see their ministry. And, and after this, I looked. and just tells us, it, you know, it goes to the end of the story. It summarizes the ministry of the, the 144,000 witnesses. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, 
from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. Remember we read portions of Revelation 19 at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're given white robes, robes of righteousness because of Christ's imputed righteousness. Well, guess what they get? Now, they don't, they don't attend the marriage supper of Lamb because these aren't people that are saved in the church age. They're saved during the tribulation. But they say have the same rights. They're given a... So the imputed righteousness of Christ that seals my salvation is the same sealing that seals their salvation. You see that? So it says... So it's standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they're crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders, elders that represent the church, and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and, and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And I love this encounter. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these? So an elder, again, you're looking at your Bibles. Just here's a truth. An elder, remember we talk about elders. We have elders now at church. I'm pastor, elder, uh, Bishop, all the same word, same role. Churches have elders. There's going to be elders for the churches in heaven, 24 elders. So the elders represent the church. You with me? See, won't you understand that? So when you read this, you realize these aren't church members. These aren't folks that are saved during the church age. Because it says the elder doesn't know who they are. The elders would know if they're saved in the church age. Okay. So then one of the elders addressed me saying, John... Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where did they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that awesome? So this just tells us right off the bat that these 144,000 witnesses had a fruitful ministry. And you're going to tell them, and, and there's going to be, they're un, un, you can't number them. Anyway, go to chapter 14. Then I looked, chapter 14, verse 1, we'll read down to where we meet the 144,000 again. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion. Now, by the way, we're, we're at the end of the, you've gone through the seal judgments, you've gone through the trumpet judgments, you're fixing to enter the, the bowl judgments, okay? Now, remember chapter Seven says they were sealed. Okay. And, and we don't know, but we can imagine in our minds. Let's say you're now within a year of the end of the tribulation. Or let's say you're 14 months, 16 months. Anyway, you're more than halfway through the tribulation. And time-wise, because we're fixed to be in the bowl judgments. And they come quickly, so you know, towards the end. How many of them are there now? How many? 144,000. Did he lose any of them? Did any of them die? No. Because they've been sealed. Now that was sealed for fit from physical death, but also sealed for salvation. He sealed them so they would not be harmed. Did they get harmed? Did they die? No. Exactly. 
And which is an amazing miracle if you know the rest of the book of Revelation. Because there's anarchy and death and destruction going everywhere. But it does seem like that, remember when that peace that he calls for this no wind to blow and all that? So probably everywhere they went, you know, they didn't go together. They scattered across the world because every tribe, every tongue, they did not experience the tribulation events. Incredible thing. Anyway, so then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of a loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpist playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne. That makes me think of that chorus. Before the throne of God above. I won't sing the rest of it, but I did pretty good with that part, didn't I? Uh, so, before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000. Now this tells us a little bit more about where and whom they are. Who had been redeemed from the earth. Now my first interpretation of years ago, I thought they had been resurrected from the dead, but that's not necessarily what that means. They had been redeemed from the earth. So they're on the earth and they're saved. And, and this is exactly what God did to the Jews. You know, if you study the life of Abraham, Abraham's family was pagan. Abraham was a pagan. And God just saved him and called him and said, I'm going to marry you. Well, this is what God does again. And for you, the call of God to salvation. You know, we know that salvation is an act of God. And he he, he calls you and He saves you. We talked about that today. Born again and regeneration. You know, uh, He implants His life in you, calls you. But anyway, so He does this, this 100, 144,000 Jews. He redeemed them from the earth. It is these, looking at your Bibles, who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. Now, there are several reasons why this is there, and I'll give you one now, but just think of, Think of the sexual decadence that it, even now, right? Even now. I mean, I don't have to go in. I'm not even going to describe it. But we live in, in a, we live in a pornographic world. You and I both know. It is pornographic. It's pornographic if you watch TV. It's pornographic. You can do it in your phones, online. It's just a pornographic, perverted, wicked, decadent, immoral world this is the world they're in but it's compounded because there's no there's no there's no holy spirit restraining there's no restraint and so these guys are virgins it says they have not defiled themselves with women for they are virgins so they're 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 sexually pure and and then it says it is these who follow the lamb Wherever he goes, these have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and for the Lamb. And in their mouth, no lie was found, for they are blameless. Now, folks, we could go on, but this is just a few uh, 
would say characteristics about uh, these 144,000 witnesses which appear in the midst of all of this all of this wickedness. Now, for the sake of time, I wrote down just some observations, and then I'm going to take a couple of these words specifically and, and make application. Here's some things I wrote down. When you read about the 144,000 witnesses in Revelation 7 and Revelation 14, you see, you, see spirit, you see moral purity, or you might say spiritual purity, in a world of filth. Okay, So right here, you know, what does God want us to learn about the 144,000 witnesses? Well, well, obviously that we're to be witnesses too. They're going to have a harder than we are, and they're witnesses, and they're faithful, and a great multitude is going to be saved because they share the gospel. But here's another truth. There's purity in a world of filth, or you might say a sea of filth. But that should be true of me and you. If we're, There were witnesses. Do you, John, 1 John, tells us what a witness is. As in John, who wrote the Revelation, who wrote the Gospel, wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. A witness, what he sees, what he hears, and what his hands have handled. That, that's a witness. He's a witness. Like a, but what kind of witness would they be if they were immoral? What kind of witness would they be if they lived like the world? What kind of witness are you? That's right. What, you see, what kind of witness would we be? Or are we if we live like the world? Pure. We're, we're to be pure. So, so it says the, these witnesses were, I think about incredible, they, 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 they were pure in a sea of filth. Number two, they, they were preaching the truth in a world full of lies. You know, the very Satan, Lucifer, the devil, adversary, but also a liar, deceiver. The very goal of the devil and Satan same, is to deceive and to sell the world lies. Well, here they are in a world full of lies. The God that rules the world then totally will be a liar. But there's truth in a world of lies. Now think about what a witness is. A witness is pure in a sea of filth. A Christian witness. A witness is truthful in a world of lies. These witnesses had hope in a land of doom. Chaos, death, destruction. And they know it's God's judgment. Everywhere they have a word of hope. They're preaching the same gospel you and I preach. Folks, even today, there's hope in a world of doom. Am I right? We're witnesses of this. And folks, when we see, we see the, the, just the absolute anarchy, moral anarchy, we have to realize this, this is what lost people do. They're owned by the devil. The devil is their father. They're in darkness. They're dead. I mean, there's all these terms the Bible uses. What should we expect from people who are owned by the devil? They're not going to think like me. They're not going to think like you. But we have hope. 
The witnesses shared hope and multitudes were saved. We have hope. The world's not our, these people are not our enemies. We know that, you know. We don't war and battle and wrestle against flesh and blood. They're not our enemy. The devil's our enemy, right? That's what Paul says in Ephesians 6. So here, what do we have here? We're going, we've got to finish, but there's, there's purity in a, in a sea of filth. There's truth in a world of lies. There's hope in a land of doom. And there's compassion in the midst of judgment. Isn't that something? Compassion in the midst of judgment. Can you imagine what it's going to be like for a witness who's a Jew, who's been converted to believe the Lord Jesus is the Son of God and is coming again to to say to somebody, let me tell you about the love of Jesus Christ. Compassion amidst all these judgments. Look, look, back at, look back at chapter 9 real quick. Let me show you this. Um, Revelation 9. Uh, look, of course, this is where the demons come out of the pit, right? The ones that have been bound, the first part, of, which I think is the most, is the most fearful judgment. Be, be, all those demons come out of the pit of hell. And, and, uh, but look at... Look at, and it's just horrible. You can read it for yourself again. But look at verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues. Again, I think at this point, I mean, I, I may be off. I know at least one third of the world population have been, have been killed by now. A third. Okay. Millions and billions of people. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works, the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders. See that? Can you imagine? Of their sorceries, of their sexual immorality and of their thefts. Can you imagine the murder? The thievery, the sorcery, the drug use, sorceries, drugs use, they did not repent. They, as, as much as the judgment of hand of God was coming, they would not repent. But yet the witnesses had a word of compassion. God loves you through Jesus Christ. Repent today and be saved. Incre- be saved from your sin. Incredible message. And then the last one I wrote down is understanding which means they, get, they help them understand the will of God during a time of wrath. So they're able, this is great, we have the truth. You know, you shall know the truth. They had the answer for what was going on. So they provided understanding in the midst of God's holy wrath. Well, folks, we do the same thing. We provide understanding of why the world is the way it is. But folks, we have to remember where we are as believers. The good news starts when we tell them the bad news. That they are in sin, their father's the devil, and there's judgment and hell awaiting them without faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. There's bad news. The world, you know, the little cliche, 
The world is going to hell in a handbasket. We say that. That's sad. But without salvation, people die in their sins. And the wages of sin is death, so there is no hope without Jesus Christ. So, folks, everything these witnesses did, we're supposed to be doing. Uh, let me give you one, one word of, of, uh, of clarity here. Take your, take your Bibles. Well, we don't have time to do that. I'll take too long to do it. So, anyway, I, I wrote down four words about these men. I want you to think, of, and men, by the way, they're men. They're going to lead in the witness. That doesn't say there's not females that get saved and don't witness. I'm sure there will be. But these men lead. It's another example of the male headship and all that through the Bible. God calls men to lead out in this witnessing effort. Interesting. But I say about these four, these witnesses, they're purchased, they're prepared, they're protected, and they're pure. Well, folks, the Bible says, you're my witnesses. So I'm asking you. I'm at, we're not in the tribulation yet. I'm asking you, are you saved? Are you purchased? Are you prepared to be his witness? Are you protected by the presence of the Holy Spirit? And are you pure? Are you living a pure life? So the Bible says, you shall be my witnesses. If you're saved, you're his witness. How you live determines whether you're going to be a good witness or a bad witness. When John begins his book, 1 John, he says, we're writing to you to tell you what, John says, what we've seen, what we've heard, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. What you've seen, what you've heard, and what your hands have handled. What kind of witness are you for the Lord Jesus Christ? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and our hearts are, are open to the Lord and Heads bowed and eyes closed. And just thinking about this, this massive responsibility that we have to be witnesses in a world gone mad. Literally gone mad. And yes, if you're saved, you know you've been saved, you've been born again. The Bible says you are to be a witness. Think about 144,000 men lead multitudes to Christ. And, and I'm not trying to be ugly. Our heads are bowed and our eyes just thinking through this. But here we stand, 2021, and sober to think about it, but how many people have you witnessed to? Think, think about how the crisis that we're in and, and how obvious it is that the wickedness of man is ruling the world and, and we, have under, we can help them understand why we're in the condition we're in. And how many of us are, are a witness? How many of us are sharing the gospel, the, the witness about the good news of Jesus Christ? You will be my witnesses. Now we have to decide whether that witness is going to be bad or whether that witness is going to be good for the glory of God. Maybe you're here today and you've never been saved and Boy, I wish I could spend hours with you to tell you the glorious truth of God's gospel. But, the, but folks, all of us in here that are saved now, we remember what it was like to be lost. But today I'm asking you to consider the claims of Christ. Christ came into this world and died on the cross and to redeem sinners. 
You're a sinner. Christ died. Today, He calls you in order to be saved, to repent and believe in Him. So today, you can be saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Other decisions are Christian decisions. If you're here today and today's a day of a decision you need to make about church membership, this invitation's for you. If you're here today and you're a believer and you're not the witness God wants you to be, this invitation is for you. And folks, coming down here is no magical thing. You can kneel right where you are. You can pray right where you are. But if God in His sovereign grace and mercy is speaking to you about making a public decision, in a moment when we stand and sing, we'll wait on you. Father, we love you. Move among us now. We pray in Christ's name. We stand and we sing. Living for Jesus. We stand, we sing. We know it well. Do we believe it? Living for Jesus. If you're here today and you need to make a decision, you come right now.